0: Linguistic
1: Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And uh, after having just returned from a week away, I usually kind of dread checking my email, uh, mainly because I know I'm not going to be able to answer it all. But uh, this time I was really overwhelmed with the uh, number of donors who have sent some of their hard-earned money on our way to uh, help out with the uh, out-of-pocket expenses associated with producing these podcasts and uh, the Burning Man lecture series. To begin with, uh, I want to thank Bob and Sicily, who I have now also had the good fortune to meet in person. As has happened twice before since I began doing these podcasts in uh, 2005, Their donation was uh, so sizable that I can only call it a grant. And uh, thanks to these grants, I am now uh, firmly committed to bringing the Palenque Norte Playa Logs back to Burning Man next year. Uh, As you know, last year was the first time since 2003 that uh, we didn't produce a lecture series on the playa. But that isn't going to happen in 2009 because uh, I now have that adventure uh, almost all saved up for. So, uh, Bob and Cicely, uh, thank you again from the very bottom of my heart, uh, not just for the overly generous donation, but uh, also for all of the great work that the two of you do each day to support our community. And in addition uh, to the grant from Bob and Sicily, uh, I was uh, really blown away to also have received donations uh, from the Jason Bennett Actors Workshop and from Tony D, both of whom also donated in the past. And on top of that, uh, donations came in from Jesse G, Daniel W, East Forest, and from Greg B. Although I no longer celebrate Christmas. Uh, <laughs> Receiving so many donations at one time sure uh, reminded me of some of the fond memories I have of my boyhood Christmases. But uh, I should also probably mention something that uh, Greg B. said in a short email that he sent along with his donation. And he said, Hi, Lorenzo. Thanks for blowing our mind. Thanks for preserving McKenna's fantastic talks. And thanks for all the hard work. P.S. If you are going to post a thank you card, the U.S. address shown is not valid. Save your time and money. The show is thanks enough. And uh, so I am reminded once again to mention that I am probably the world's worst podcast host, in that uh, I've only been able to keep up with sending thank yous uh, here in the podcast. When I first began receiving donations, I, I always tried to send a little thank you email along, But at one point, uh, I got so far behind in my email that I realized I probably would never get personal notes out to all of these wonderful people who are such an important part of keeping the salon going. And to the donors uh, that I'm thanking today, and to all of our donors in the past, uh, I sincerely apologize for not being better at sending personal thank yous. But if I don't strictly limit my email time each day, I would never get anything else done, so... uh, I hope you don't take too great of an offense at my lack of social graces, because uh, you truly are all in my heart, and and I think of you all every day. And one last uh, note about today's donors uh, is that East Forest uh, not only sent money, but has uh, also produced some wonderful music for the world to download for free, and I'll say a little bit more about that at the end of uh, today's podcast. But uh, first, let's let uh, let's get on to another talk by the good Bard McKenna. And today, since I'm uh, sort of in an ayahuasca frame of mind, I uh, also thought that it might be a good time to play a little talk that Terrence McKenna gave about the vine. Uh, copies of this talk have been uh, sent to me by several saloners, and in case you haven't already done so, you can uh, Google MP3 and then Terrence McKenna in quotes. And uh, I think you'll probably find over 60,000 hits. Uh, So if you need a McKenna fix and you haven't heard enough of him here in the salon, well, there are uh, quite a few other places where you can find these interesting talks. But uh, to whomever it was who made this recording and then posted it on the net, uh, I also send my deep thanks. As you know, ayahuasca has been discussed here in the salon in over a dozen programs including number 89, in which my friend Mateo discusses ayahuasca, diet, rituals, and powers. But uh, this is one of the few McKenna talks i found in which he goes on at length about his uh, relationship to this sacred medicine. And if you have uh, ever had the good fortune to participate in an ayahuasca ceremony, uh, you know quite well that this is definitely not in the category of a recreational drug. However, uh, I guess I should add that a friend of mine uh, calls it a recreational drug, and uh, I can attest to the fact that over the past 10 years it certainly has helped me recreate myself. But uh, that's a story for another day. Right now, it's time for a little more of the good Bard McKenna, and uh, this time talking about ayahuasca and its recipes. But I should let you know that uh, there are a few things he says that I have a serious disagreement with. Uh, So, for what it's worth, uh, just because this is Terrence McKenna, it uh, doesn't necessarily mean that all of the information you hear is uh, necessarily correct. Now, uh, if that doesn't make you pay closer attention to this little talk, I don't know what will. Uh, So let's join Terrence now and uh, see what he has to say on the topic.
0: As far as what I can contribute to the Ayahuasca discussion, uh, most of the samples that Jonathan discussed this afternoon were actually collected by uh, Cass and myself in '76, and then Dennis wrote that picture. uh, using those samples from some that he had obtained earlier that year. They all, almost all, came from uh, a single shaman, Don Fidel Mosandise, who was then at the Arena Cocha near Sopalpa. We bioassayed all those groups and they were very strong. When I began Making my own ayahuasca, I used those experiences as the benchmark for what I was trying to achieve with my own brews. In terms of recipes, if you want to, you know, rather than try and substitute an analog, if you're still interested in what goes into a healthy dose of ayahuasca, the way what I settled with, I had a clone a single individual plant called Plowman 6041 that Tim Plowman had collected in the in 1970 that was called the Cielo ayahuasca. The ayahuascaros recognize the uh, types of ayahuasca more uh, differentiated than the species. They speak of Cielo ayahuasca, Trompetero ayahuasca, so forth and so on. So this is a Cielo ayahuasca, Plowman 6041. I grew it for many years, and when I made ayahuasca, I used 500 grams of fresh material per dose, and 85 grams of fresh stictosperium perigus per dose, and and uh, then prepared it in the standard way. Which is to boil the total volume of crushed ayahuasca and of viridis. You make it in a non-aluminum pot. You don't use aluminum utensils because the aluminum is reactive and will, it mess with the effectiveness of the ayahuasca. And you layer in to the pot, these pots can be quite large, you layer in Cicotria leaves Crushed bannisteriopsis coffee, the entire plant, vigorously smashed with a hardwood club to separate the fibrous material, and then you um, boil it for four hours at, at a rolling boil, not an explosive boil, but a constant boil. Pour off the deeply yellow liquid that results. Carmine is yellow, and you pour off the mother liquor into another container, replace the first wash with a second wash, boil it four hours more, then discard all the solid material, keep it steaming into the book and then <laughs> combine the two washes. Which is a lot of water, I mean 10, 15 gallons of water, and then depending on, and then drive it down to the number of doses that you have pre-calculated, I can make up to 12 to 15 doses at a time in pots of this size. And I drive it down to 100 milliliters per dose. In the final evaporation, you want to be careful not to boil it too rapidly or the sugars which are cooked out of the ayahuasca will tend to caramelize and make it thick. This this does not affect the pharmacology of the ayahuasca it makes it hell to swallow. And if you do it right, you can get it down to 100 milliliters and it will still pour as in, it's as thin as water. It won't thicken unless you have boiled it with too hot a flame. Um are you not destroying any uh, uh,
2: psychoactive
0: potentials? The more caramelized one and the more liquid one? No, it's more like it's an aesthetic thing. It knows <coughs> that you hurried it, and if you're giving it to people who are knowledgeable, they will comment on this. The sign of amateurish ayahuasca is ayahuasca that's sick, because that it needn't be. Those are just sugars. It's not doing any good. My interest in, in ayahuasca, which I indulged over 25 years or so, began with, and if you haven't read it, you should probably read Burroughs and Ginsberg's book, The Yahe Letters, The Search for the Blue Flash, is mm-hmm. how I think it, is. and it, uh, it sort of initiates the modern era of writing about ayahuasca. Uh, the most recent interesting book about Ayahuasca other than Eduardo's commentaries on the paintings of Pablo Amaringo is probably Michael Kauti's book uh, Shamanism Colonialism and the Wild Man which is just a wonderful book even if you don't give a hoot about drugs I think it's a wonderful book for the richness of the language and the way in which he tells the stories of the 20th century history of shamanism in the Kutumayo region but my interest in ayahuasca was the same interest that many of the early ethnographers and anthropologists were motivated by which was persistent rumors of group states of mind as Jonathan mentioned the first people to characterize the alkaloid named it telepathine this was because they had the grandiose hope that this would be a telepathic drug and in a sense I think it's too early to dismiss this possibility most of us think of telepathy as one person hearing another person think that I don't think ayahuasca can deliver but what it can deliver is an incredible ability to see what other people mean. Ayahuasca is driven by sound, by song, by whistling and uh, its ability to transform sound including vocal sound into the visual spectrum indicates that some kind of information processing membrane or boundary is being overcome by the pharmacology of this stuff and things normally experienced as acoustically experienced become instead visibly detailed and it's quite spectacular. I mean I've had ayahuasca where you know you can a tone and just lay down like a Barnett Newman painting, a a chartreuse line an inch and a half wide in the darkness and then you switch the tone and uh, cross it at a 90 degree angle and then as you begin to experiment you discover that the whole modality behind your closed eyes is open to being driven by by these sounds. And I think probably a lot of the shamanism, especially the off the main rivers shamanism involving ayahuasca, is this kind of pseudo-telepathic involvement with sounds. There are a lot of interesting things about ayahuasca, even in distinction or in contrast with other psychoactive (laughs) plants, for example. it's essentially brain soup. There's nothing in it which doesn't occur naturally in human neurometabolism. If, if you, when you take ayahuasca, you alter the ratios tremendously and the concentrations, but, you know, mescaline, um, so far as we know, salvia epo ibogaine, um, these things don't occur ordinarily in human metabolism. Masculine mice under certain conditions, but the the major psychedelic neurotransmitters are what are represented in ayahuasca. <coughs> so it's uh, and it's the only hallucinogen I know where, if it's made right, the next day the day after the experience, you actually feel better than if you hadn't done it. I mean, even with mushrooms, which is dear to my heart, the day afterwards, I tend to keep the phone unplugged and to, you know, hot baths and this and that. But on ayahuasca, you're just ready for action at four o'clock the next morning, the next And the hallucinations are extraordinary. They seem to occur. In a way, it seems more versatile than psilocybin. The hallucinations can range over a wider range. I mean, they can be anything from nature-based, botanical, insectile to just you know, you name it. I remember one one period of hallucination on ayahuasca where it was gold Egyptian hieroglyphics against black. And moving through these tunnels and, the, and this sort of thing and it's very uh, I think it's safe, it's probably used by more people than any other psychedelic plant cult in the world if you don't consider cannabis a plant cult and as a strong house you know in, in Colombia, Ecuador Peru, down into Bolivia uh, and then it's made inroads in the 20th century in a big way into Brazil, portions of Argentina, yes. and then more sophisticated populations all over the world are mm-hmm. getting wind of Are there any questions
2: about? it grow in the islands? Oh yeah, it'll grow. Yeah.
0: It grows well in Hawaii. It could. Many many plants are. Um, have more restricted ranges than their natural capacity. Plans, most plants have not occupied their full range. This is a consequence of the glaciers only having melted 20,000 years ago. I lost it. I mean, one of the things that interests me that I've talked to Dr. about is um, I think that there may be banisteriopsis of some sort implicated in Mayan religion. Nobody has ever been able to prove this, but there is a whole elaborate kind of Mayan symbolism that you see at Kalung, Palen- uh, I'm sorry, that you see at Palum and at other sites that's called umbilical symbolism. And I think these things that have been taken for umbilical course are probably vines of some sort. The last time I was at Tikal, in the ruins themselves, there were many. Yellow flowers, malthagaceous flowers on the ground that had clearly been shed by large vines, which you could see going up into the canopy. And I collected in Belize uh, non flowering malthagaceous vines that I was unable to distinguish from ayahuasca. So, you know, this, this may well be happening. Um, or could have been happening among the classic mines, and uh, exactly what their drugs were and who used them, pretty expected this, point. there's no trace of that in the current mine populations. Well, there's, I mean, no trace of of mining. No, they're pretty. I think the morning glory seeds, the mushrooms among the Sierra Maza, the and Indians, the Zapotec and the Mixtec. Uh, among the Maya, uh, I think the morning glory complex and the salvia divinorum. But whatever else may have gone on, you know, there's a whole, I mean, Jonathan is the expert on this, but there's a whole number of plants which may have been uh, used for their psychoactive effect in Mexico. Various coleuses, the Emia salicifolia. Some people believe certain water lilies, um, old oh, plants like Quarera Dia Sumibre, even, which is now used as a flavoring for certain kinds of chocolate drinks. Still, there are depictions on pieces of statuary that seem to suggest that maybe this would have been a narcotic style of usage in the past. <laughs>
2: But, I a, yeah. Uh, I have a question about. Uh, you're talking about uh, how you the visual experience was driven by uh, sound. Right. Uh, have you found that the visions could be driven by anything else? Any other uh, uh, occurrences
0: besides sound, uh, touch, or, or? Well, I tend to lie down and sit still in silent darkness. Um, I suppose cannabis helps most of these things. But really the ayahuasca is extraordinary. The last time I I took it uh, was in a non-traditional setting, but with one other person, and sitting in completely silent darkness. And this guy had uh, these Tibetan chimes, you know, the kind you strike with a piece of deer horn? And it would be completely silent and he would strike this thing, And it would, it would literally would form a piece of jewelry or a thing like a machine in the air. Just, just this thing and this thing would come into being as long as the sound was there, and then it would disappear. And then he would make another one. And it was very clear that we were seeing the same thing because I commented on it and said and described what I was seeing, and it looked like a little thing made out of iridescent titanium with brass. Connectors, and it was like an enormous laurel birch earring or something like that. <laughs> I mean, it's a very specific kind of um, object. Um, I think these things are very mysterious. I mean, it, it was a pity that um, that Rocio's English didn't allow a real discussion of uh, these stories about the people who disappear for days and weeks on end who go into a parallel world. Because you know, if you if you just think that these Aboriginal people are ignorant savages, well then you can just dismiss it. But if you have gotten this far on the premise that shamans know what they're talking about, well then you have to take very seriously this more outlandish stuff. You know, I mean how you? Where do you draw the line? You know, and ayahuasca is, you know, Eduardo Luna, who some of you know, is uh, very keen to insist that what ayahuasca is really about is where you get on it if you keep these diets for weeks and months and then take it. Repeatedly, over and over, in these situations of sensory deprivation, and I think these people are basically erasing uh, ordinary uh, linguistic structures, and they live in a world half, perhaps more than half, hallucination, and their fears of magical attack and their relationships to invisible beings, and all this is a a kind of, I suppose in Western terms the only thing you could say is it's a kind of self-generated, self-controlled schizophrenia. But that's just the word, schizophrenia. I mean, what it is, is it's a self-generated, self-controlled immersion in a non-causal, parallel um, construct of some sort. And the reason shamans live in isolation and on the periphery of modern and high-density urban civilization is essentially so that they can build these castles in the air that they inhabit. They build unique mythological structures that are like accretions of their very powerful personalities. That's what all this storytelling is about. These stories are are the contextual define the contextual limits of what is possible and if you live in a culture where night after night, year after year you've grown up around the fire hearing the most respected people in the group tell these outlandish stories then for you it legitimizes the search for a doorway out of mundane experience and that's really the the only precondition for finding Such a doorway. I mean, if you love the weird and you probed it often enough, deeply enough, eventually you'll hit the jackpot. You know, and the door will swing open. And Iwash is definitely uh, very effective for for doing that.
2: Yeah. Um, I guess the Icaros really generate a lot of visions. The Bonsung. And some of those are available on cassette. Do you think it, that kind of visionary generation would come through in a cassette if you if you did an ayahuasca analog and
0: well it's like one listen, of these things? Yeah, I mean if you listen to the music on ayahuasca, it is a trans, it transforms the music. You have to be very careful. I had I recall many years ago, it was the night of a of a total eclipse. or some hellish thing in the sky, a total eclipse at <laughs> some time. And Sunwater and Adele, who some of you may know, and I decided that we would do the ayahuasca that I'd had in the back of the refrigerator for years. And this was like a long time ago, maybe eight years ago. And I got it out, and I couldn't remember whether Don Fidel had said, Always shake the bottle, or never shake <laughs> so the bottle. So, well, to be safe, we should shake the bottle, in, in case that's what he did say. So I did, and and uh, you know, it, I've never had it hit me so hard. And we were. I had put on a record which I had previously found mildly entertaining, and the goal of the first 40 minutes of this ayahuasca trip became to survive the playing of this record. It was so... uh, I don't know. I've had other experiences. A friend of mine brought me a tape uh, from tribal Afghanistan, That I listened to one night in Hawaii on Iowa, and I became so alarmed and freaked out. And I just, I could hear something in this music that just shouldn't have been there. I could hear that. You know, this wasn't wizened ragheads in mud huts somewhere, That these guys had connections into the Martian musicians' union of the <laughs> <laughs> It was highly agitating. So I think the Idlewans talks are probably tailored to create a certain aura of confidence, and they're reassuring. It's nice to sit with these old guys and... and and watch them make beautiful music and when you're alone you can sing too, I mean it's very important to sing, especially if you become afraid or alarmed, this is the key, if you get into deep water with these substances, this is true of psilocybin as well, you don't want to clench, you don't want to assume the fetal position and stop breathing and, and you want to sit up straight and breathe and sing and sing it back and it, it will step back, it will, you know, you can take control of your situation most of the time. <laughs> I
2: want to ask you about, the, about the parallel universe American Indian storytelling and mythology and a great deal to say about these things. Their adventure myths about the two young guys that go out and meet the two kids and then disappear for twelve years. You yeah, know, this is a common enduring theme, but it's my nice meeting this decision that this kind of stuff does exist. And I could have a little bit about when you get into that place, what level of verity do you find yourself giving it?
0: Well, I'm very, very careful. I mean, like the way I do these things normally is alone Mm -hmm. and I unplug the telephone and I don't tell anybody I'm going to do it and I do it in darkness and I roll joints in front of me so I don't even have to move. (laughs) And basically once it gets going, I don't do anything Mm -hmm. because I'm so aware of how involved in it. I mean, I don't, I think you have to be almost a damn fool to just grab hold of this stuff and start flailing it around. I mean, For me, it's like I creep up to the abyss and hang my head over and look, and then I edge back to them. The idea of trying to actually do something is terrifying because it'll work. I mean, you can do it, but but you don't understand what you're doing. So I like to look. What I is suggest I mean. Peter Schell But the <laughs> that they're
2: purposeful what for the They cure. They cure
0: and they get information. And, uh, but the main thing, I mean, I think the getting information thing is sort of overstressed because it's astonishing and it proves that it's a higher dimension. I mean, if somebody really can see who stole the chickens and they really can see then even though it's a trivial matter about a chicken, there's nothing trivial about the fact that they are exhibiting a paranormal ability which seems to involve the contradiction of cause and effect. How can they see who stole the chicken? Number one, the chicken has already been stolen by the time the question is asked of the shaman. Well, so then, does the shaman travel back in time? Does the shaman read the minds of everyone in the tribe and and look and find who stole the chicken that way? Or is it just an inspired guess backed up by social pressure? Uh, What exactly is going on here? And then when you turn toward the future, it becomes even more mysterious, because many of these shamanic things are about uh, deciding where the hunting will take place, and saying, you know, if we go to the second waterfall, then there will be Kapibari to be killed, and then they go, and there is, and they do. Well, if you believe that this person actually saw the future, then you're coming perilously close to some kind of determinism which is, you know, not supportable philosophically. I mean if the universe is absolutely determined, then thinking has no meaning. Because if the universe is determined, then you think what you think because you couldn't think anything
2: else.
0: So thinking suddenly is divorced from the enterprise of knowing reality. And that's a little discouraging to both of us who Butter our bread in the fields of philosophy. So I think it's, you know, it's very mysterious. The model that I use for all of these psychedelics is a mathematical model, not a psychological model or a spiritual model, but a mathematical model. Minds, under the pressure of evolution, under the pressure of the need to defend self and offspring, has folded itself down into the three dimensional space time matrix of the body. Mind has sort of has crippled itself in order to caretake the body and the here and now. Well when you take these psychedelics, it's like it's severed, the mind is severed from the physical envelope and you wander in a much larger dimension. And it is a de- It is literally a higher dimensional manifold. And that's how these apparently miraculous and magical things. That's why the shaman can see into a human body. Because in a higher dimension, the inside and the outside are the same place. There is no distinction. So it's an inner sensorium that has a higher dimensional uh, character to it. It's a great mystery, you know, I mean, it doesn't need to detain us here, but it's a great mystery the relationship of consciousness to number and of nature to number. After all, nature is nature, the deployed three-dimensional physical world in its dynamic numbers are abstractions generated, so far as we know, only by the human mind. They are inventions of the human mind. And yet nothing is as descriptive of nature, no tool is as powerful as a descriptor of nature as mathematics. But why is this? Well, ayahuasca seems to say it's because... Uh, the mathematical, the higher mathematical dimensions of the world are objects not merely for abstract, deductive uh, discovery, but for experiential encounters. And then if this is true, then our world as we experience it in the here and now and day to day is hopelessly limited and circumscribed to be, you know, a very limited world that we're operating in, inside our culture, inside our language, inside our body, and so forth and so on. And in the silence, in the darkness, swept away by these alien alkaloids and the plant minds behind them, you know, you find out a truth that can barely be told, and most of it can't be told. Yeah. Uh what about your uh, sense of self and, and in the uh, Iowa system? Yeah, and the ego in Denmark. Well, I think that the you know, the, it, these things are very humbling. It's very hard to do if you have an ego that's very if you're for instance I mean if you're the kind of person that other people consider a jackass. It's pretty hard to do these things if other people's judgment on you is correct. You know, I mean, the person like who can dominate uh, a noisy bar is not probably a good candidate for ayahuasca. That kind of bravado and machismo, and you know, I mean, ayahuasca loves to take prideful people and rub their nose in it. I mean, it can make you beg for mercy like nothing. You know, you have to really approach it humbly. I mean, I speak from experience. I You know, I probably am easily betrayed into assuming I know what I'm doing. And that's the moment when catastrophe strikes. what I always say to it when I go into is I say, you know, I'm going to take a big dose so please don't kill me. (laughs) Here I am, I'm yours, I surrender, I hold nothing back, I didn't cut the dose, I didn't water, I didn't water the tea, so please don't kill me. And then it usually responds by not killing me. If it's... So amusing, it. Right? <laughs> but, you know you, you can't demand it. The, the real bad trips come when you try to put the squeeze on it. You know when you try to force a piece of information.
2: Absolutely, because this is also in the, in the cultural context of Iowa yes, and then the areas where the. Well, there's been a lot of social disruption, security, the roads, or hundreds years of missionary influence, um, and what is still remaining in the Ayahuasca culture is that the people always think it was some kind of intense need to heal someone or to like send a spell to, to, to kill someone. Or something. They don't just take it just to completely just surrender themselves into the lake. Well, I mean they do too, like during, the, like during the initiation and stuff, but I mean, once they like the shamans, I guess, or even a lot of the young people really, they'll just take some, it with something in mind, and, you know, of course there's exceptions, so the difference with that is that a lot of times, um, you hear a lot of weird stories about, like, um, I don't know, like young upstart shamans that, that, that like, have with, like a lightning bolt tap them, or a tree fall, or something like that, and there's a lot of weird black magic that goes on too, because a lot of people just don't kids, you know what people can feel. so A lot of deaths are attributed to, to
0: Ayahuasca, either to black magic or. And I think a lot of shamans it's are. They like to just graze the underbelly of the thing. They're really concerned about their community and healing sick people and holding it all together. It's an exceptional personality in any... Society, Amazonian or urban American, who is a go for the gusto kind of person who just wants to get as loaded as they possibly can. I mean, this shaman that I studied with in Peru, the ayahuasca that we would take on Saturday nights, the curing would be only about two thirds as strong, and then every Wednesday night we would take it just he and a couple of other people, he said, this was this was our school, he said. This is when we learn. On Saturday nights, we cure the people, but on Wednesday nights, you know, we plunge to the death. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a much more uh, intense, quiet, inward kind of driving in those situations.
2: So if we took our watch on a Wednesday, mm-hmm. we would be have any simultaneous
0: experiences. Quite so. Every day (laughs) of the (laughs) week. The (laughs) week is
2: loaded. How how would you compare the the nature of reality or perceived reality under ayahuasca and under mushrooms?
0: Well... The, the, the thing about psilocybin that is so extraordinary, and I think enough people have experienced this now that we can make a generalization about it. The, the mushrooms talk. They speak to you in your native tongue and that conversational speed. And it's, you know, the damnedest thing. Until it happens to you, you can't imagine what somebody could be talking about. Once it happens to you... You know exactly what they mean. The mushroom is animate and articulate and also kind of extraterrestrial. it its it hallucinations tend to the grandiose, the history ending, the galactarian destiny that awaits the biological overmind is this, ta kind of thing. <laughs> ayahuasca is biological and organic and you feel the spirit of the forest like Rosia said. It's, uh, it's more feminine and after a good ayahuasca trip, you feel like your eyes are just bugging out of your head because you've spent so much time looking. The language of ayahuasca is visual. It shows you, and shows you, and shows you, and shows you, and And once this showing gets going, you know, it's hard to shut it off. I mean, it really wants to show, but it's it's silently spills out this cornucopia of images, and you sing, and you manipulate them, where the, the mushroom is, you know, highly articulate, It also is visual, but it also can talk, which is just such an astonishing thing for a Western. I mean, we are just not prepared for talking fungible.
2: Have you tried the two together?
0: The two together? I wouldn't do that, actually, because I think the... Monoamine oxidase inhibiting properties of the harmine, which so intensify and synergize the psilocybin that uh, you might find yourself swinging from the chandelier. <laughs> and the shamans don't do the shamans don't do that either in the Amazon and you can rarely get an ayahuasca to give you the time of day regarding mushrooms. They always say, well, we use mushrooms when we don't have ayahuasca, but the caveat is and we always have ayahuasca. (laughs) It depends on the tribal, it depends on the people, but around Hukalpa there were women in the circles. There was this woman, this ancient woman, named Lisa Ura Angulo, who just, you know, she drank with the best of them and would recount outrageous visions. And this lady must have weighed under a hundred pounds. One of the shamanesses or shaman female shamans that we tried to contact in seventy six is this famous woman who studied with Manuel Cardova Rios, the guy who wrote Wizard of the and Her name was Juana Gonzalez Opi he told us about her she had come to him as a girl of uh, 25 with leprosy and he had taken her into the woods for six months and cured her of leprosy which, that you can cure leprosy with ayahuasca is definitely an unorthodox idea and she became a, a major ayahuasca era in this area and her stuff was said to be the best, and then, and, but she had lost her her hands and her feet. So the experience of taking on with her was fraught with her presence, which was freakish from the extreme, especially in the flickering firelight. There's a sort of a new field of medicine,
2: healing of sound, which the person's voice is analyzed, the spectrum analyzer, and the missing notes are provided to that person, just either by singing or humming, or to get the person to just match the note that he's missing, apparently he will feel all kinds of ailments. And I'm wondering if you can see sound if the, the tour arrow just can see by the sound
0: that person's voice is making what's totally missing in his picture. Well, there's obviously there's some kind of diagnostic sensitivity to invisible stuff that we don't ordinarily perceive. We were talking last week, some of you may have seen this, I mention it because I'm trying to confirm it. I've seen on three occasions in my life, at about this light level, sitting watching someone in profile as you're watching me uh, on a very slight dose of mushrooms there's something which goes on in front of the person's mouth it it looks like it, it looks like oil in water and my rational explanation for what this is is that you pull air into your lungs and it is heated and therefore it has a slightly different refractive index than the cold air in front of your face. And so when you speak, the mixing of the hot and cold air can be perceived under some conditions, and I would get photographed under some conditions, as, an, as a kind of oily, turbulent something in front of your mouth. Well, is that cheerful explanation correct, or are we on the brink of something else, some some more uh, demanding or exhaustive phenomenon, I don't know. Yeah. Going back just a
2: little bit, I should probably mention a friend and I have been growing uh, ayahuasca clones, uh, I guess it's from your clone actually, for three years. And uh, in the lack of uh, the stichopria or DMT additives,
0: uh, my friend has uh, reported numerous successes with shrooms. Adding the shrooms to the ayahuasca? Yes. What proportion do you know? Not sure. It would be interesting to know. I think you might get away with that. Probably what it would be is a fair bit of ayahuasca and a tiny bit of mushrooms. One of the longest, hardest evenings I ever spent was I got the idea I would take half a dose of ayahuasca and half a dose of mushrooms and I, I felt like I was battling demons to return with a shred of my sanity I mean it was just ghastly I was pretty phobic of that combo you took them at different times? no I took them together hmm. two and a half grams of mushrooms and a half a dose of ayahuasca, and it turned me every way but loose It was unpleasant. I mean, I really thought I had done it this time. What it did was it interfered. It was very clear what was very clear. What seemed to be happening was that it was interrupting RNA transcription of short-term memory. So I I knew who I was and my history and how I had gotten into this situation, but I couldn't remember the last three minutes at all this would create this anxiety in me. And then I would forget why I was anxious. And then that would create more anxiety, and I was into some kind of intellectual redress that was... Uh, I, and I was just riveted in this chair, and I thought, you know, if this doesn't unsmap um, itself, they'll just put me in a ward somewhere, you know, I'll just be carried out of here. Uh, And it it felt like, you know, that scene in 2001 when the guy is outside making the repair and then he comes back and says open the pod door, Hal. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that, Dave. Well, it was like <laughs> <a laughs> jammed into that machinery in the synapse. <laughs> <entomatic laughs> <entering laughs> <in the laughs> I mean, I had this very clear vision of oh, God, it's gone down the wrong pathway. The degraded enzyme has somehow been locked out of the process, And here we are, folks. Uh, circling the airfield, running out of fuel, zero visibility down below. And after about two to three hours of this, it invades
2: us. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time.
1: Now, I have to say one thing about the instructions... uh, Terrence just gave for making ayahuasca, and that has to do with its consistency. Early on in this talk, uh, he said that the ayahuasca he brewed was as thin as water. In fact, he even said that the sign of amateurish ayahuasca is that it's thick. Well, uh, that kind of blew me away, because all of the ayahuasca I've drunk has been uh, thicker than pea soup. In fact, uh, I am willing to state unequivocally that, uh, in my humble opinion at least, dear Terence was dead wrong about that. Completely wrong. But he is uh, certainly right about it being difficult to get down when it's thick. (laughs) In fact, I'm about to gag just thinking about it right now, so I'd probably better change the subject. As to his comments about the possibility that ayahuasca might be a telepathic drug... Well, uh, I've heard several accounts of this being the case and, in fact, have actually experienced it uh, quite vividly one time myself. So while it may not always provide a pathway into the realm of telepathy, I do think that the uh, possibility is always there and uh, is certainly something that an enlightened culture would systematically look into. Maybe uh, the reason Terence didn't think that ayahuasca could deliver on the claim of uh being a telepathic drug is uh, <laughs> maybe it's because the brew he was drinking was thin as water and he wasn't getting sufficiently high on it. And I don't mean to sound like I'm uh, berating dear Terence here, uh, but my hunch is that uh, if he were alive today and had an opportunity to travel to the jungle and work with some of the ayahuasca that I know, well, uh, maybe he would revise his thinking on some of these uh, points he has about ayahuasca. But, uh, once again, uh, this is something you'll have to unravel for yourself. Until you've had uh, some personal experience with the vine, it might be best for you to uh, not lock onto anything you've heard from me, Terrence, Mateo, or anyone else about it. Because, uh, just like Burning Man, it's uh, something that is almost incomprehensible until you experience it for yourself. Another question uh, that was just asked of Terence is to compare the experience under mushrooms versus the experience under ayahuasca. And as you recall, Terence said the mushroom is animate, articulate, and also kind of extraterrestrial. Uh, I guess the way I would phrase it is that the mushroom consciousness is uh, very cosmic in feeling, and with ayahuasca you feel the spirit of the forest and of the planet. And on those two points, I agree with him. Uh, in fact, uh, just recently, uh, several friends and I were talking about the difference between uh, mushrooms, ayahuasca, and LSD, and uh, we more or less came to the same conclusions about uh, mushroom and mushrooms and uh, ayahuasca. However, uh, we all had slightly different takes on acid. And as to the question about the use of ayahuasca by women, uh, just let me say this. I know uh, quite a few women. Uh, A lot of women, actually, who are extremely proficient in their use of ayahuasca. In fact, uh, I know many women who are much more in tune with the vine than I am. For sure, this is uh, not a gender-specific experience. If anything, it has uh, been my observation that Lady Ayahuasca actually prefers working with women over men. But uh, that's just one person's opinion. Now there are uh, just a couple of other things I want to mention today, and the first is that I want to thank everyone who has been contributing to our notes from the Psychedelic Salon blog, and uh, the even larger number of people who are active on the forums over at thegrowreport.com. In case uh, I haven't made it clear, uh, the Grow Report forums uh, include a whole lot more than just the Psychedelic Salons forum. Uh, I haven't counted them all, but uh, there are forums for all of the podcasts from the Cannabis Podcast Network at DopeTheme.co.uk. Plus, uh, Zandor and Mrs. Z have uh, also included forums for uh, The Sea Realm, Blacklight in the Attic, and many others, including their uh, own wonderful podcasts. This is a very active uh, and highly intelligent community of psychonauts, and uh, I highly recommend that you at least surf over there and uh, do a little lurking, if nothing else. Uh, I know for certain that uh, I have learned uh, quite a lot from some of the lengthy discussions uh, that our community is having there on those forums. And I also want to uh, welcome BB back to the bungalow. And uh, in case you haven't been keeping up with the monthly podcast from Beebe's Bungalow, uh, it's been hosted for the previous two programs by the most excellent J.K. and S.E.B., who, uh, did a terrific job while she was away and uh, we owe the two of you a real debt of gratitude for keeping the bungalow's doors open and uh, then B.B. came back with uh, one of her finest programs I think uh, which is number 15 in case you're hearing this in some future time warp and uh, by the way uh, that is B.B. whose uh, velvet voice you hear right after the lecture I play each week so welcome home B.B. And there is uh, another podcast I'd like to uh, point out to you. Uh, I just began listening to it in the uh, past few days, and I'm already a big fan. Uh, The podcast is by Jan Irvin, and is called Gnostic Media. Now, I first became uh, aware of Jan's work with the uh, publication of his book a few years ago that's titled Astro Theology and Shamanism, Unveiling the Law of Duality in Christianity and Other Religions. And uh, I see now that he has a new book uh, that has just been published and is titled, The Holy Mushroom, Evidence of Mushrooms in Judeo-Christianity. Now, I I actually learned of his podcast through my friend, Dr. John Hoops, who uh, you heard briefly in my podcast number four, where uh, Daniel Pinchbeck uh, deferred to him to explain some details about Mayan history. Uh, interestingly, uh, Jan interviews uh, Dr. Hoops in his fourth podcast, uh, which is a nice little synchronicity because that's uh, the fourth podcast is where I also had his uh, little soundbite. Uh, now Jan's uh, first program uh, does suffer from a few technical difficulties, uh, as, <laughs> as mine did for almost the entire first year, I might add. But uh, all of his podcasts are extremely interesting and uh, I particularly recommend also a couple of his unnumbered programs uh, titled, uh, one in fact is titled Cannabis Hemp Marijuana and uh, that's a two hour radio interview that Jan did uh, a year or so ago. And uh, despite the title of the program, the second hour is one that I think you will find uh, very fascinating, uh, particularly if you are still trapped in the quicksand of religious dogma that was uh, forced upon you as a child. Now, I've read uh, quite a bit about cannabis, uh, including the absolutely essential The Emperor Wears No Clothes by Jack Herrer. But I I still learned a lot about cannabis from uh, that podcast uh, that I didn't know before. And as I just said, uh, if any of our fellow Saloners are still suffering from lingering traces of religious brainwashing from their childhood, the, uh, the second half of that program may hold the keys to uh, getting you on the path of recovery from your indoctrination as a child. So uh, check out these great podcasts, as well as uh, several of Jan's websites, which include uh, GnosticMedia.com, pharmacraticinquisition.com, HempForFuel.com, the, the, the emperor the emperor dot net and john dot org and i 'll uh, i 'll post uh, links to all of those sites along with the program notes for this podcast on uh, on our notes from the psychedelic salon blog, which you can find at psychedelicsalon.org you know John is uh, not only highly talented but uh, he also has an abiding passion for his work and uh, is one of the most articulate uh, spokespersons for our community that I know of. Uh, after listening the way he responded to a uh, radio listeners' uh, persistent and very negative questioning in uh, Jan's shamanism interview, I was uh, completely blown away. So I hope you'll give uh, Jan a listen and a read, because in my humble opinion, his, his information is uh, right up there with that of the good Bard McKenna. And in fact, uh, it may be Jan who is the original source of many of these McKenna talks that have been uh, floating around the net for so long. And if so, uh, well, thank you, Jan. We, we really appreciate everything you do. Finally, uh, I want to read part of an email uh, that I received from one of this week's donors, Trevor O. of East Forest. Uh, and here's part of what he had to say. Hi, Lorenzo. I'm not sure if this is your email or not, but I thought I'd give it a whirl. And, uh, by the way, uh, my email is uh, simply Lorenzo at MatrixMasters.com. And uh, the only reason I don't make it too easy to find is that I always feel so guilty about uh, not being able to answer all of my email. However, uh, like most people, I really do enjoy receiving it. So uh, my apologies for not writing back, but I can assure you that uh, I do read it all. Now, uh, getting back to Trevor's email, he goes on. I discovered the Psychedelic Salon a few months back and what a discovery it was. I've been blissfully traveling on a beautiful floating carpet of mind manifesting thought ever since. It has been a lovely companion while walking the streets of New York City and in my creative work. I wanted to extend my thanks for your effort in getting this information out there. In the spirit of giving, I also want to drop you a line about something I've been working on that is certainly related. It's called East Forest a unique musical project that combines 100% original field recordings with ethereal, melodic soundscapes with the intention of fostering introspection and mind expansion. Like the Psychedelic Salon, all East Forest music is and always will be free to download at www.eastforest.org and is distributed through a Creative Commons license. In addition to releasing music... The website also serves as a blog featuring a wide variety of media that relates to the subject of consciousness. Against this backdrop of news, videos, articles, and anecdotes, the music is designed to act as a practical tool to give the listener a vehicle to facilitate an inner journey. I think we all need a few tools these days. The first complimentary musical offering is a full-length album, The Education of the Individual Soul. A 45-minute uninterrupted sonic voyage down a rabbit hole of jungle monkeys, vintage piano, and theogenic messages and pulse-like beats. The debut LP is available as a complete download at www.eastforest.org/downloads. East Forest is a gift and a gesture in the spirit of cooperation for the benefit of the human experience. And I'm just trying to spread the love around. Thanks for any help and enjoy. Well, Trevor, uh, you're doing far more than your part to make this a better world, and uh, after visiting eastforest.org, I'm even more impressed. This is a very interesting blog, and my guess is that you'll like it too. Uh, And after I sign off, I'm going to play one of their songs that is titled Run. And uh, and please keep in mind that uh, the sound quality I use for these podcasts uh, really isn't high enough to give you a true appreciation of their music. Uh, You really need to hear it at a a better recording level, uh, which is the one that's available for their free download. So if you are looking for some gentle music to journey with or some podcast-safe tunes to add to your own programs, you might want to check them out. And by the way, uh, the artwork on their site is uh, also a mind-blower. My compliments to the artists. And now, as always, I'll close this podcast by saying that this and all of the podcasts from the Psychedelic Salon are available for your use under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial share alike 3.0 License. And if you have any questions about that, just uh, click the Creative Commons link at the bottom of the Psychedelic Salon webpage, which you can find at psychedelicsalon.org. And uh, that's also where you'll find the program notes for these podcasts. But before I go, uh, I just want to repeat uh, one more time uh, a truth, uh, a truth to me at least, that Terrence, so clearly stated just a few minutes ago, and I quote, In the silence, in the darkness, swept away by these alien alkaloids and the plant mind behind them, you find out a truth that can barely be told, and most of it can't be told. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.